again, and welcome to ZachCast, the official podcast for local government nerdery. I'm Chad. That's Patrick. What you got for me today, Pat? Dude, we're going to talk about a just a bunch of stuff. That was a terrible opening. No, I horrible. think that you nailed it. I, <laughs> I we're going to talk about so much better. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. We're not cutting this one. A bunch yeah, of stuff. Correct. Yes. So, uh, yeah, we needed to squeeze a, a an ep of the pod in because uh, I'm going to be preoccupied in a couple of days with my fourth child being born. So we definitely wanted to get one squeeze in here. We got a couple of updates on some sales tax stuff, some COVID vaccine incentives. Maybe we'll get to a couple of half-baked ideas that I threw out at Patrick and he looked at me like I was having a hard day. So anyway, let's get started. We, we also have an update on our favorite piece of legislation coming out of the legislature this year, the Defund the Police Act, also known as House Bill 4072. We will talk about that one, give everybody a quick update on where that's at. Uh, and so, yeah, let's start with COVID shots. So, Chad. What is your opinion of this movement within COVID shots to incentivize people to go get their shot? So for example, there are states that are giving a free beer at a brewery to get a COVID shot. There are states that are giving a hundred dollars savings bond for a COVID shot. There are uh, locations that are giving $50 if you drive somebody to a COVID shot. What are your thoughts? I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Uh, I, I didn't mind when Krispy Kreme started offering free donuts for the COVID shots. I'll tell you that I'm much more a fan of the, the incentive style that you're talking about than I am of the incentive where you basically can't do anything unless you have a uh, vaccine passport. So you're against the vaccine passport. Okay. So I'm, I'm generally more accepting of it if it's done by the private sector and not by the public sector. Um, okay. Full but, disclosure. Hold on. Full disclosure. Okay. We're both vaccinated. We're both vaccinated. Right. I mean, I, let's say that out loud. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we have, but I, I can't, I mean, I can't fault say American airlines if they say, okay, after, you know, August or whatever, when everyone's had a chance to get a vaccine, then you can't fly without a vaccine. Now they may not be able to because of interstate commerce regulations and stuff like that. But, you know, just as an example, um, if, if a restaurant wanted to say you can only eat here in, you know, inside if you have your vaccine card i don't know that i'd be a fan of that but i think you know it's private property and i think they probably should be able to do that if they want to uh but i i would prefer if we're going to go that route that we would do something like hey here's a 50 dollars gift card for getting your shot i don't know who's paying for it i mean we're already giving the vaccine away for free basically so um you know this is like an extra cost on top of that and i i assume that i mean detroit is the one who's giving out $50 gift cards and there's no limit to how much you can earn. You just have to fill out a W2 if you drive more than 12 people and Detroit has their own fiscal problems. So maybe it's worth it for them to pay that money, you know, to get people vaccinated so their economy can, can reopen. I mean, especially in Michigan right now is they're having a tough time. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really have a strong opinion, which is kind of unusual for me. What about you? Well, I mean, I think this is a really interesting public health topic. Right. I mean, we clearly before COVID did not invest well in public health and we've learned our lesson from that. Right. Probably not. But the reality is, is that the more people we get vaccinated, the more likely it is that COVID is going to be behind us. Right. And so there's a public health side to getting people vaccinated. Um, I don't really see it any different than any other economic development incentive. 
right? We are incentivizing people to get the shot so that they will be incentivized to then be more free from an economic standpoint. Yeah. See, I, I see it quite a bit differently. So to me, economic development incentives fall into one of two categories. One, giving away money that wasn't necessary because it would have, because the development decision was going to make sense anyway, or B, did I say one or, or A? Doesn't matter. Uh, B. We're not cutting that one out. No, <laughs> it's like buzz <laughs> in, uh, in France when they're talking about Kevin being stuck at home alone. Anyway, yep. B, cities giving away money to something that is not going to succeed regardless of the incentive, right? So this, I don't really even see it remotely in the same category. I'm also not a huge fan of economic development incentives, which is kind of weird because we did a lot of them. <laughs> That's correct, yes. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I see them kind of fundamentally different. There's not necessarily a um, a negative externality that I can at least immediately see from paying someone to get a vaccine, where there definitely could be for development incentives, you know, long term well, fiscal I, I, health of your city, fiscal health of the development, like the the development incentives can potentially skew those decisions, whereas incentivizing someone to get a shot isn't necessarily. Uh, like the possibility of something like that happening seems a lot lower. I mean, I think we would agree that um, neither one of us loves development incentives, right? I mean, uh, development incentives, if we lived in a utopian world and nobody was doing development incentives, you wouldn't have to do development incentives, right? The problem is, is you're competing against it. Truer words were never spoken. Jurisdictions. <laughs> I mean, so I, I mean, the not, thing I not love about you, that, Patrick, is. When you just roll out a tautology like it's really profound, I just really appreciate that. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And I, I mean that both from a locality standpoint and also from a state to state standpoint, right? It's, it's the argument we always have the state. State's like, well, we want to get rid of all incentives. And we're like, well, that's great. But Oklahoma and Arizona and Georgia and Tennessee still have incentives. So we still have to compete with those that are states. And it's usually on the backs of the locals to actually be the ones who are competing with those other states, not actually the state itself. So all that being said, I, I don't disagree with that. But when we're talking about COVID shots, I, I think there is a clear public health reason why we want to get a certain number of people vaccinated or a certain number of people infected. Like I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm basically I'm saying in order to get to a herd immunity number, you actually have to pe have people who get vaccinated or they have to be infected one or the other. So, and obviously, the vaccination route is the preferred. It's the preferred safest route where people do die a little bit less. Yes. So, um, and I don't mean to say that flip it. I just mean to say that from a public health standpoint, there is a governmental reason why we would be giving incentives to people to get shots. My thoughts. You hear that train? Yeah, there's a train <laughs> behind uh, Chad's house today. This is the like, second time it's. Uh, BNSF is moving lots of goods through the city of Fort Worth today, apparently. So let's let's say that you were among the vaccine hesitant. What would it take you? Like, what would be your preferred incentive? The Krispy Kremes? The free beer? No, I think if they took out the tracker. In, <laughs> so they couldn't follow you around? So they couldn't follow me around? I've been joking with a lot of friends of mine that, um, you know, it's okay, I'm vaccinated. So if they get lost, you'll be able to return me to my wife. Except you that know, you're not a like Windows user. Retriever. Yeah, <laughs> you're not a Windows user, so you won't be able to do it. That's true. Yeah, you won't be able to find me because I don't use Windows. But uh, kind of like my dog Tucker in the backyard, my new golden retriever has a chip. Have you ever seen how big the needle is for the chip that they insert into a dog? 
No, I've not ever seen them actually put the chip in. It, I mean, it's, it is not a small needle. Like it is a sizable, like round, like noticeably round hole. Did he take it I like mean, a champ? I don't know. Uh, he was pretty upset about yeah. it. You know, I felt bad for him. He was only like 16 weeks old when he got the shot. So, well, there are yeah. other things that you do to male dogs that are probably worse than sticking a microchip in them. So <laughs> that is true. Uh, speaking of the, uh, the vaccination ride though, on the COVID shots, have you heard all of the conversation on social media, specifically within like the millennial generation about uh, my shots better than your shot or like the Pfizer one percenters? Okay. So two things, I find it harder and harder as time goes by to associate myself with my generation. I know technically we're like on the leading edge of millennials, almost, almost in the zennial category but I don't really fall in with, with Gen X. Um, I think, and I can't prove this, but I think when we get further out that we will split millennials into an even smaller cohort. And I think that a lot of the Gen Z people are kind of giving us a bad name, but th- so that's my first comment. And then the second one is no, I haven't heard this. So what are they doing? <laughs> So there's this movement on social media. Chad went like down a rabbit hole. I, di- I didn't know where that was going to go. I didn't either. I just started talking. It could have got, got very interesting there for a minute. Um, but, uh, you know, there is this, there's this movement, you know, obviously because, uh, you know, the three predominant shots in the United States, there are only three approved shots. You know, there's uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Uh, and Pfizer is a little, it's about 1%. It's a little less than 1% more effective than Moderna. Now folks, we're talking like 96% and 95% effective, right? But there's like this whole movement on social media of people like the cool shot to get is the Pfizer shot. Do we know what the margin of error is on that, on that statistic? You know, that's a really interesting question that if Dr. Kruger was on the show, yeah, I suspect that it's why margin of error matters. Yeah, I suspect that they're basically the same. But anyway, yeah, so now, so now we have a situation where the millennials want to be part of the 1%. That's correct. And millennials want to be part of the 1%. Interesting. That is exactly where I was going with this conversation. So what, what is happening is people are, uh, they're shot shopping, right? So they're, they're going to the shot clinics and they're only getting a shot if it's a Pfizer shot. Hmm. Uh, if it's a Johnson and Johnson shot or if it's a Moderna shot, they're not going to get it. So maybe we should just be incentivizing the other two. I think, it, I think at this it. point, we're going to have to be incentivizing the Johnson and Johnson, given how it's been treated in the press and by the CDC. But I think if I could do it again, though, honestly, I would just want the one shot. Just give me the Johnson and Johnson. Let me move on in life. But I had to go, I had to go for the two shot run. Well, you were an early so, adopter. I was, I was an early adopter. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I was. Early enough that there were only two options. Correct. So, all right. Okay. So, sales tax for people. Yeah, sales tax. Why do yes. people actually listen yeah. to us? Uh, that was a that was a beautiful segue. Uh, yep. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> t- so two quick updates on sales tax. The first is yesterday the comptroller released their press release on April sales tax. This is sales tax that they collected in April for March sales. So, this is sales tax that will be allocated to cities in May, and those numbers were thirty one percent up from last year. So all that to say, A, the impact of not having the COVID shutdowns this year, uh, plus p- perhaps some pent-up demand and maybe even some, uh, some lingering effects of the snowmageddon. But uh, it looks like cities, on average, will have a pretty good month in May as far as sales tax goes. We expect there to be a pretty good month, but let's roll back the beautiful bean footage for just a little bit, right? 
March was not a month. It was a month of fear, but it was not a month of full shutdowns in March of 2020. No, it was only half the month that we actually had closures. Yeah, it was half the month that we actually had closures. The first couple of weeks, you know, that's the story I told. I was actually sitting at spring training in Florida watching baseball those first couple of weeks when uh, things got closed down. And, um, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, April, if March numbers are this way, what would we expect in April where we did have a full month of shutdown? I mean, April, we were totally closed down for the entire month. I know you and I were really busy uh, doing lots of analysis for lots of different cities. But the reality is, is that most people were uh, were really shut down and we would probably see and expect to see a pretty significant bounce. And from the comptroller standpoint, an unpredicted bounce. I, I think that's the interesting thing about this is that when the comptroller did their initial projections, they used the non-COVID or they used the COVID month as a baseline, clearly in their projections because they came back and, and almost fundamentally revised their biennial. Building. Yeah. Yeah, they fundamentally revised their biennial based on one month. I, I mean, I would ask the question, when has that ever historically happened? I doubt it ever has, right? And two, what it shows you is, is that they took the COVID year and based their projections off of the COVID year, not off of 2019, uh, which we had a couple of conversations with clients along the way where we said, okay, hey, things are going to get more normal as we go. You probably need to go back and look at your 2019 number, not your 2020 number, and use that as more your baseline number not the number that lost 25% in the middle of a COVID year. So if anybody, if never, you know, anybody listening to this did the same thing, then that growth is going to be even more substantial. And the 2021 growth is still more substantial than the 2019 growth. Yeah. So when you're, when you're evaluating what the actual impact is, don't forget how you actually treated March and April sales in your projections. If you baselined off of 2020, then, you know, if you get a 20% growth rate, this month and you're going to be in good shape. If you baselined off of 2019, then a 20% growth rate may just get you back to where you were. So Correct. You know, that number is going to be big probably, uh, but depending on how you actually accounted for it and your projections, the actual impact may or may not be quite as big as it sounds. I, I mean, my comment is, is that, you know, uh, we also are not going to see the full catch up of what happened, you know, cause, cause really the, the e-commerce side of the business, you know, that came in, in, in uh, April. So you have the the regular coming back, the economy is opening back up, those type of things. But you also have the fact that e-commerce has picked up significantly since this time last year. Do you remember and that the, really has not been significantly decreased? Do you remember the total drop in March from last year for city sales tax? I don't. Um, and it was, I remember it being in the single digits. And the reason I remember that uh, is because we we predicted that we predicted that it was not going to be substantial. And we had talked to a number of cities and we'd actually put some stuff out there and, uh, and, and told folks to not, because remember, this is the same time that everybody was cutting uh, their budgets, like by 40% laying off people or not everybody, but some people were not everybody, but it was the same time where the government finance officers association, the national association, not the state association, the national association sent an email out with, these are the things you need to do in this situation. And it, it was like a three page these are all the things you can do to cut your budget, which includes, you know, just cutting at the bone. Right. I mean, there was, there was, and, and, and we saw that and our initial response was, whoa, way too early to do this. And at that time, that's when we started rolling out all the cell phone analytic analysis that we were doing because we wanted to prove to our clients like, Hey, just don't take our word for it. Let's actually look at what's happening for real. Like, yes, everybody is locked up at home, 
But the reality is, is people are still driving to fast food restaurants. They're still going to the grocery store. There is still some economic activity that's occurring within our market. We are able to prove that up uh, with, with analysis. So I, I, yes, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we're going to see some differences from year to year. I, what surprises me the most though, is that the comptroller didn't take that into account. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to wade into the politics of the biennial estimates um, because obviously they're, they're providing those revenue estimates to the legislature. So they know how much money they have to spend. And as a former budget person, sometimes you, you tend to opt for the more conservative projections initially. Uh, Cause it's always better to have more money than you thought than to have less. Uh, but there's, it's a balancing act, right? You don't want to be too conservative because that kind of hurts your credibility. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, don't, don't you feel like we're hurting the credibility at this point of those estimates? I mean, this has been a little bit of like an infomercial uh, for set it and forget it. Like it's, it, we're getting a lot of, but wait, we're going to be $10 billion down. Oh, but wait, it's really only 5 billion. Oh, but wait, it's 2 billion, but oh, but wait, it's not anything. I mean, we've literally gone from a $10 billion deficit in Texas to nothing in a year and a half. Okay. So I pulled up the press release from last May. So this represents the period that we're comparing against for the current press release. This is April collections for March sales of 2020. And the decline was 9.3%. So we had a 9.3% decline last year and a 31% increase above that. So if you do that math, which I just did, you know, in my head, um, that'd be about a 19% increase over the 2019 numbers. Which is the largest increase in state history though, right? Period. That's what the comptroller said in their press release. Uh, yeah. So the, thir- the, the, the total amount of revenue is one of the largest numbers for any month that we've ever had. Okay. I suspect that the percent change is probably the highest, if not one of the highest, if not the highest. Yep. But if you... If you did your sales tax budgets for this year based on 2019 numbers, uh, the statewide totals were about 19% above that. And that represents a 31% increase from last year, accounting for the, the COVID shutdown dip. Okay, so moving on. To moving on. Item. Talking about House Bill 4072, also known and famously by us as the Defund the Police Act. And anybody who hasn't listened to that podcast... Uh, It'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, also, uh, it's not actually defunding the police except for the problems it causes at CCPDs. But ironically, I believe that podcast may be like the most passed around podcast we've ever had, right? It, it actually has made it into the halls of Austin. So I know a number of like chief of staffs for legislators that have listened to it. You told me that somebody reached out today. Okay, question. Told you to listen to it. So is it, is it chief of staffs or chiefs of staff? Ooh, like chiefs, like attorneys general chiefs. It's attorney. Yeah, RBI chiefs of staff. Yeah. We've had this conversation before we have. Okay. So, yeah. so the news on this, uh, in the previous podcast, which you can find in the show notes is a, it's a whole breakdown of this house bill, uh, 4072. It changes the way that we account for, uh, sales tax allocation, shifting it from point of sale in most cases, uh, especially when there's a place of business, it basically gets rid of the place of business and changes the sales tax nexus to the point of delivery. So whether that's you go to a physical store and pick it up where you take ownership, then that store is the place uh, uh, where the sales tax is consummated. 
or if it's delivered, then the delivery point, wherever the ownership changes hands for a good, and then wherever the service is actually performed, that would be where sales tax is due. So the big change for this is that it's come out of committee. It still has not made it on the calendar. Is that right? That's correct. But uh, the one big change is that the implementation has been delayed until January 1st, 2023, which is good because it would have been absolute chaos if it had gone into effect in October. Uh, So at least that gives cities a full year and then a half year, basically, to kind of prep for that change. But again, the big challenge with it is, for me, is not even necessarily the principle behind it. It's just that we have no idea what the impact is going to be. Nobody has any idea what the impact is going to be. So therefore, they're going to have to budget based on worst case scenario. I mean, it just is what it is. Every city is going to have to assume that anybody that doesn't uh, have a direct-to-customer purchase apparatus or brick-and-mortar location is going to have to assume that they lose sales tax. And it's going to be a big number in every city. And they're never going to know the amount of money they get back until they get it back. Um, So it's going to be incredibly difficult to understand. We believe what has happened in this process, just talking to a few people in Austin, is that the comptroller's office specifically said, hey, everybody, this could be really complicated. We talked about the three-legged stool and how sales tax administration and all that type of stuff in that last podcast. But the comptroller basically came in and said, implementing this on September 1st is really not feasible. You know, it's just, that's not enough time for us to be able to implement this and let alone be able to do this and do it successfully. I'm not even sure they could do it successfully on 2023 in, in January of 2023. Um, and it just creates a lot of headache for private businesses. Now, you and I had this conversation the last time. I don't want to rehash it totally. But my example is, if a mom and pop pizza restaurant delivers to five different cities from one location, they're going to have to pay tax to five different cities instead of the one location that they have a storefront in. And Chad's comment is, is there's lots of software out there for that. Of course, the software nerd says that. But the reality is, mom and pop restaurants don't care about software they may still have handwritten tickets and because of the difficulty in tax administration, we're going to collect less sales tax because of it. Any ideas, any thoughts? Just in terms of, you know, administrative overhead, it it is better if this does end up passing and being signed into law that it will not go into effect for another 15 months. But yeah. And this is an example. If this is an example of if it was always this way, that would have been awesome. Right. I mean, this is one of those things where it's like, I think you can still debate about whether it would be awesome, but I think that if it had always been this way, we wouldn't look at it and say, that really doesn't make any sense. Like this is, this is a crazy idea, but because it has not always been this way and because it would be a massive disruption, there is a prudential uh, question to ask and answer about whether we should do it. Even if you agree with it in principle, um, which I haven't quite yet decided if I do. Fair. So I, I think, um, and I had a conversation with a client today that would probably be one of our few clients that I think would be a net positive for this. Um, and even they said, even though I'd be a net positive, like this would just really negatively impact a lot of jurisdictions. And it would. The fear is, is that the jurisdictions would have to react with a really far swing in the pendulum because they just wouldn't know anything. Anyways. Yeah. And then you couple that with the fact that you may or may not be able to cut your police budget more than the rest of your budget or you'll lose your property tax. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, and that's that a whole correct, new world so. of questions. But before we get too far into or off on a rabbit trail on, on that kind of stuff, uh, let's wrap up this podcast. It may be the last for a couple of weeks. 
it's been a while since we've recorded an episode with a newborn in the room. So, uh, you know, it really just depends on how quiet he, how well he sleeps. But I threw out a wild idea to you earlier and you looked at me like I had kind of lost it. So uh, I have, I have plenty of these, these wild ideas. And uh, I thought maybe I'd just throw a couple at you and get some reaction. And if you're welcome to obviously reciprocate. No, 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 no. I, I'd love to hear what you have to say because I'm ready for this reaction. Okay, so I have not been driving during rush hour very much in the past two years. And I had to go pick up the kids, run to Target, you know, during rush hour yesterday. And it was a disaster. And I got to thinking, there has to be a better way for this, right? We have technology to do this. We have machine learning algorithms and all this kind of stuff. Uh, all we need is to basically get rid of all of our sense of privacy. And we can actually, I think, solve this problem. So I'm going to throw this idea out to you. Uh, please don't take this as an endorsement of this idea because I, I think it would actually be terrible, but it could potentially solve some traffic issues. Okay. What if we had a, a huge database? It could even just be like regional, right? Like the DFW area, central Texas, like you didn't have to be national. And I, if we're going to do this, I prefer that it wouldn't, wouldn't be national. But basically what it stored is every single person where they live and where they work, okay? And then we relegate work scheduling to this central authority. They figure out some kind of algorithm to tell people when they need to go to work and come home. I think you'd have to set some kind of parameters so that you wouldn't have people like, you know, an office job all of a sudden having to work the, the graveyard shift. But so within some reasonable parameters, we have like some... Cog planning authority that says, okay, you go to work at this time and you come home in the, at this time. And that way we can spread out the traffic on the road and reduce congestion. Okay. So I'm going to take this on like a Methodist pastor. I'm going to give you three points <laughs> and three reasons why this is a terrible idea. Okay. Idea number one, you started with what if we had a database full of people? Okay. <laughs> We're Americans. There will never be a database full of people on where they live, where they work, how they drive, and what those habits are. Uh, I'm not sure you're, like aw- I'm not sure you're aware of this, but the census was just released. <laughs> that yeah, that's has all true. that information. That has all that information. But I, I will. it doesn't have like actual... No, it doesn't tell you. Like, no, I know. It doesn't tell me down to the last name of the person. I'm exaggerating for effect. Go um, ahead. But there's a reason why uh, Apple is bigger than Android in the United States, and it's privacy. And it, okay, it's privacy. It's privacy. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, mean, uh, it, I don't Apple, think that Apple's. Mark- yeah, there's a reason why. Hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna call you on that one. Okay. Forty five percent of smartphones are Apple's. Yep. Forty one percent are Androids. You think that yep. you think that that is like a substantial difference? I think it's grown significantly. It used to be Apple was only like thirty percent of the market, I believe, and it's actually grown. Apple's been 44, 45, 45 since twenty seventeen. Man, why you got to call me out with facts? Come on. All right, can I move on to my second yeah, point? Yeah, since I've yeah, debunked that one, go ahead. That's a, since that's a moo point, a mo- we're going to move on. A moo point? Yeah. I'm glad you, never, I'm glad you, you didn't go to law school. <laughs> You've never seen that episode of, of Friends? I don't watch Joey? Friends. Friends is one of the worst shows that's ever existed. Go ahead. Wow, folks. That's my hot take for the day. <laughs> that is his hot take for the day. We're going to leave that one in there so that y'all can all criticize him via email. It is chat at zachtax.com. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time I've heard about it. I tried to watch it. It's terrible. Oh, this, is, this is hurting my heart. Okay, second, second thing, right? One, 
we talked about the security and privacy and those issues Two, the second thing, how in the world are we going to get you out of bed? <laughs> okay. And somewhere on time, regardless of what the actual time is. Okay. Let's just be honest. If, if we have a company meeting, okay. Or we have a lunch or we go to dinner. You are always the one who's late. Yeah. But I, I blame my wife. <laughs> no, don't blame Jessica. I only that. blame her because she doesn't listen to this podcast and she'll never hear it. That's true. <laughs> so it's it's the fact that you have to do your hair or I don't do you know, my something hair. else that happens. Barely have any left. Or Texas Texas is playing some sporting event that you have to watch yeah. and you can't walk away from for a minute. So but the, but the reality is is in, in the grand scheme of things, okay? Trying to actually get people to stick to that time is going to be incredibly difficult because people are just inherently late. Okay, I'll I'll push back and say that the point is not necessarily strict adherence to the schedule as much as it is spreading out the traffic load. Okay, but great. All of that said, here's my third thing. We've tried it. Remember the red light, green light system on the interstates where we would talk about the interstates, they would be too full. This is a Texas thing, I think. I don't know if it happened anywhere else, but we used to have red lights and green lights on the entries to the interstate that would restrict the flow of vehicles onto the interstate and it would it basically would be red and make you wait there for 30 seconds and it would turn green. Yeah, I've seen that in Houston, but I, that's the only place I've ever seen it. So they've tried this. It was an epic fail. That's because... And why was it an epic fail? Because people never listened to it. Because it was a Band-Aid. It was, it, it was a it, patch. exactly what you're talking about. No. You are, at that point, you already have all those people on the road. I just blew your mind. Like I can see it in your face right no, now. I, I, think, I have to describe it to everybody else. You're like, wait a second. Maybe they did try this. No, it's, I think it's totally different because you still have all the people on the road at the same time. You're just trying to patch after the fact, put a bandaid on all that traffic by restricting access to the highway. I'm talking about not even having the people on the road at the same time. Now, after all of this, I will, I will say, I actually think that it's a terrible idea for a lot of reasons and I wouldn't support it, but I thought that was an interesting thought experiment. I think the biggest challenge would be the fact that um, schools start at specific times and end at specific times. And uh, you can't take your kids to school if you have to go to work at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> or, you know, like, so the school district, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you, so can, you can't have a school here. district, you can't have a school open for like 14 hours a day with some kids getting there super early and some kids in there super late because it just obviously wouldn't work very well. So. That is changing though. You know, there used to be very stringent state laws in Texas on when school started, when they ended, uh, and how many days they had to go a year, right? And so now you have what's called the district of innovation process, which allows a district to kind of calculate things based on minutes. And so my kids, I joke all the time with you and everybody else who has to deal with me on a day-to-day basis. My kids like randomly have a Monday off. It's not a holiday. It's just like a random Monday that they're off. And it's because they go to school 15 minutes longer every day which gives them like these random holidays throughout the year. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's different than my wife's district who doesn't do that where she works. Um, but, but all that being said, you can separate the day and the district mind blown statement though. We're not going to need the capacity in the end anyways. Hyperloops. When we go to, no, when we go to hyperloops, when we go to air taxis and air Ubers yeah. and, and by 2015, things, when we have flying cars, like back to the future 20- promised. 2015. That's it's a little early. You know, Back to Future was off maybe by 20 years, right? I'll make you but a bet I, right I now we'll, that we won't have flying cars in 20 years. We'll have flying taxis. 
we'll have flying taxis operating in DFW before 2035. All right. You heard it here, folks. Before 2035. <laughs> and hold on. The automation of vehicles itself is going to increase capacity on the roadways. Yeah. I've right? seen prototypes of uh, transportation systems that are designed for completely driverless cars, not just a handful of autopilot cars, but like the entire system is designed for no one driving. Um, it's not like they're not just put onto the roads that we have now. It's like, it would be a whole new system. And theoretically it would function extremely well, but the investment that it would take would be so astronomical. It would never happen. Well, I don't know about that. One of the most fascinating things in, in metropolitan areas is the automation of, of trucking and truck convoying that I think that's closer than you think it is. I I think you're going to see lines of like 40 trucks in a row. As long as you're not in the left lane that convoy at specific times of day and they're communicating. They need their, they need their own lanes. Well, that was Rick Perry's thought. Everybody told him he was crazy. Right. <laughs> I don't know. If anybody remembers that, but what did he call yeah. that? What was that called? Uh, I knew you were going to ask before he was going to build like, truck it was the trans Texas, the trans Texas corridor, trans Texas corridor. He was going to build truck lanes and rail in the middle of all the uh, major highways in Texas. Right. Or at least through 35. Yeah. And it failed epically. So it became like a big political issue in Texas. Everybody was against mm-hmm. it. So, okay. So my other issue related to transportation or idea, and this, it's not even that wild anymore. When I first had it a long time ago, and I'm not even saying that any of these ideas are like totally novel and like, you know, or, or particularly special, but um, one of the problems with the gas tax is that it's allocated through political processes, basically. Yep. And it would be nice if it would actually be allocated based on where people are driving. And so the fact that we have GPS on every car means that you theoretically could collect all of that data and allocate it to each jurisdiction where people are driving. Can can we go back to item number one? Privacy? (laughs) Privacy. (laughs) Item Item number one. You want the government to track where you're going? No, of course I don't. Look, that's why my iPhone's encrypted. Okay, so this is actually something that I wanted to talk to you about a long time ago, and we never, we never did, which is as technology grows and becomes more and more um, capable, mm-hmm. we will be able to do things that we have never been able to do before. We will be able to be more efficient about things in ways that we have never been able to do before. And so there, there have to be guardrails, like there have to be limiting principles that keep you from doing things that you shouldn't do, even though you can do them. And this is obviously one of those areas where I think that is the case, just because we could allocate our gas taxes totally efficiently uh, based on exactly where people are driving. Doesn't mean that we should, because what you'd have to give up in order to do that would be to me, at least a bridge too far, but that's not the point of the conversation here, which is just to throw out crazy ideas and see how they're reacted to. All right, what's the R&B song that goes, uh, one, I want to... It's called Back to One. Is it Back to One? Okay. Yeah. I feel like I this is, is, is it Brian con- McKnight? It's Brian McKnight. I feel like this is the conversation we're having right now. Were you? Is that what you were doing is looking that up on your phone? I was trying to find it, but I couldn't Google it. All you had to do is ask me. Okay. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? I thought it was Brian. Brian McKnight, Back Brian to McKnight, One. Brian Back to One. It's like a steel trap up can here. You sing, can you sing all of them? All the I way can't through? sing... No, I don't sing. Okay. But that's, that's really, believe me, you don't want, you don't want that. I'm, I'm just saying like this whole conversation is, it's like back to one. We're going to start back at one. We're going to start back at one. Yeah. So 
you don't have anything that's like I don't just have, some wild idea that you think, wow, that would be interesting. You know, I'm thoughtful. You just like you save for cocktail parties to just throw out at people and I, then I, totally disavow them. I'm thoughtful <laughs> and really think through things before I speak. I don't. Yeah. I get like, I get that first 80% and then I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so somehow folks, we developed a software platform that gets purchased by people. <laughs> somehow. Somehow. Well, Patrick, I think this is, this was a pretty freewheeling discussion. It was a pretty fun show. I liked it. It, it was good right before uh, your wife has y'all's fourth child. Um, and I look oh forward to the podcasting. Are you scared? I mean, how much more difficult can it be going from three to four? I mean, it got like, you a dad van. Can we talk the about ratio, the ratio? No. Can we talk about the, the dad van, please? You go from zero to one. That's like an infinite jump, right? right. One to two is a hundred percent increase. Two to three is fifty percent. Right now, I'm only a thirty-three percent increase. Like the more that you add, I think the less impact that it probably has. That's um, I'm gonna stick to that. The <laughs> stick to that reasoning. <laughs> is that a percentage of level or crazy? Is that what we're calculating here? Uh, just between with four kids and five dogs, my house is gonna be. It's gonna be loud. Okay. And the commuter van that you now have as your family vehicle, can we get a picture of that in the show notes? No, but so we talked about this when we spoke at, uh, was it the UMAT, UMACT thing? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. About how the study that said that uh, there's a possible link between car seat laws and, and family size, because mm-hmm. the requirement for car seats means that you have to have cars big enough to handle all the car seats. And you have to have, and, you have, to have latches and all the other type of stuff. You yeah. Have and, vehicle. and, I mean, most like the average car can't really support three full car seats. So mm-hmm. you end up going, when you go from two to three kids, you end up going from a sedan or something like that, or a crossover to like a full on expedition or something like that. And so uh, I finally f- fall into that category myself now because my, my F-150 cannot hold four car seats. So we had to get something else that we have two cars that could actually take all of the children. And the most cost-effective option, and it pains me so much to say it, <laughs> was a van. So um, it's a cool van, though. It's like a Mercedes Sprinter, right? Isn't that what it's called? It's basically the van that all of the like the drug traffickers and the criminals use in any movie that's set in Europe. Any any Liam Nielsen move movie. Liam Neeson, yeah. So Neeson, like, yeah. If if someone's going to get taken, they're going to get thrown into this van. That's correct. Yeah. So you know, there's a compromise. We'll have to make a video for future. Future podcast for people to throw you into the van. Throw me into the van. You've been taken. (laughs) You've been taken. (laughs) So, all right, folks. Well, that's all we've got until after the kid comes. uh, And we'll have a podcast probably a couple weeks after that. If you need anything, uh, feel free to reach out to me and be happy to help. And Chad, good luck, man. Thanks, buddy. All right. We'll we'll see see you.